Who the bloody hell's that? Should indeed. You're listening to the Corona Diaries, a sometimes random and often irreverent attempt to understand the psyche of singer Steve Hogarth. Hello and welcome to chapter 27 of the Corona Diaries. Uh, And we might not be on our game quite as much today because it's already been a fraught morning in the Hogarth household. Well, in in Mr Hogarth's head, if not the household. Yeah, I don't think the household was fraught. In fact, I think the household is still fairly asleep. Right. Uh, But I I couldn't sleep last night. I had one of those nights where I woke up at three wondering if it was half past six and then went back to sleep and woke up at four and then woke up at half past five and then just stayed awake till half past six. When Lynetta's uh, alarm clock went off, uh, I say alarm clock, it's her iPhone, and it usually plays Crowded House, but today it didn't. It made dingly dingly sounds. And I said, what, no Crowded House, and put the light on. And she said, can you turn that light off? So, all right, please yourself, mardy arse. And um, anyway, I got up and I was just about to go and get vibes up for school when she pointed out that he's on holiday. Um, And uh, so I thought, oh, shit. Well, I'm up now. I might as well stay up. So I got up and had a coffee and everybody else stayed asleep. So I'm knackered. um, And everybody else is uh, either still asleep or has slept rather better than I have. But it's not a competition, uh, no. and here we are. Here we are. No, but, uh, but the household is fine. It's the rest of me. That's right. You do realise somebody's going to want what no crowded house on a t-shirt now, don't you? <laughs> what? That's... No crowded house. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it seems weird doing that in a Cockney accent. Uh, crowded house got a mention actually in the diary today. Well, I'm I'm going to ask you about that. The lovely so, Paul Hester, so, yeah. Yes, yeah. So we'll come back to that and talk about that after the diary section because um, yes, that was in my list of things to ask. So how serendipitous that there would be no crowded house this morning. Which one? Which crowded house track is it normally? It's normally the first track on um, the Woodface album. Uh, right. Is that called? It's only natural. That's the chorus, anyway. It's only in the hedge. Well, that is the I track, though, isn't it? I want to be there yeah. when you... And it starts up with this little... Yeah, it does. You know, the, this, yeah. the, this sort of rapid fire of, of several samples of car horns and farts and things. <laughs> and that's what brings you into the world <laughs> of the day. That's what brings me into the world every morning. It does actually <laughs> explain quite a lot. <laughs> It really, it really does. Start as we mean to go on. <laughs> yes, let's, let's, get, let's 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 run with that. So here's a question then on on crowded house. While I've while I've got you, yeah. Woodface or Together Alone? Woodface for me. 
would. Oh, see, I'm a, I'm a together alone man. Yeah, that, that, yeah, and I think people would expect me to be one because together alone's a bit more soulful, isn't it, and a bit richer. Mm. But I, I just the standard of of kind of pop songwriting, you know, and the fact that uh, his brother's on it as well. The fact that Tim, that it's really a, it's. It, I mean, that that particular album is 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 a bit closer to split ends than it is yeah. Crowded House because Tim Tim Tim's involved, isn't he? Yeah. In both the songwriting and the singing, and they sing so well together. Um, I just love that record. I love I, I love everything about it. I love the production particularly, mm. and I love the lovely lovely Paul Hester's drumming. It's a superb record. They're both superb records. I just err a bit towards Together Alone, which I think mm. I do think's a little darker. Mm, um, it is, yeah. Um, um, but no, both brilliant records. Anyway, anyway, we'll come back to Crowded House in a little while. Um, we, I was, I wanted to talk to you about festivals this week because it came up in the diary. But before we go there, you mentioned something about. Francis Dunnery as a throwaway comment when we were just chatting before we started because you've yeah. been you've been warbling for Francis, haven't you? Well, I have. He he, I, he has a thing, and, and it it it's got like initials like the C K D F or the D F C C. I don't know what what it all stands for, but he has he has a thing, and it's a charity, um, which is a gig that he's got going on um once a year up in Whitehaven and I went up a couple of years ago because Phil Brown bent me ear about doing it um because Fran- Frank had been bending Phil's ear about getting me to do it and um Phil and Frank went to school together in Whitehaven so they go back all the way to to being kids yeah. um and I think Phil used to work with um, it bites right in the very early days as well. So Phil and Frank go back a long way, um, and I went up there, and Chris Difford was doing it, and someone else as well. There were there, there were some cool characters doing it anyway, and and I went up there and did an H Natural half hour, and I also had the great privilege of of, of singing a singing a song with Chris as well, singing a, a squeeze song together i can't remember which one it was it wasn't cool for cats it was the other one about uh, i never thought it would happen with me and the girl from clapham out on the windy that's, common that one that's that the night junction. i ain't forgotten we did up the junction together i was in a state of grace i've had a few moments you know in the last few years where i've performed songs i never imagined i'd i'd get anywhere near you know with the artists who wrote them like like, like you know doing video killed the radio star with trevor and singing kiss kiss from a rose with him and, and then you know doing up the junction with chris Difford, you, know, you just think how on earth has this happened to me what would i have paid for this moment mm. when i was young you know I, I would have you know not that i had a lot of money but i would have paid everything i've got um so I seem to have arrived just before I die of old age. I seem to have arrived in a place where I get to mingle with my own heroes. So that's 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 lovely. Anyway, I digress. So I did did up the junction with Chris Difford. It was very nice. And I've always been a bit. I've always had a. I've always been a bit suspicious of Chris Difford. I, I thought I didn't like him. Um, Based on what? 
Well, he's he's quite. I don't know if he's shy or aloof or distracted, but I'd run into him a couple of times over the years, and he'd always been very, you know, I don't know, distant, mm. and in no hurry, you know, to say hi or anything else. Mm. I've been painfully shy. Yeah, I, I don't know, but but I mean, having having met him properly. In Whitehaven, I couldn't have been more wrong. You know, he's, he's just lovely, and we had we had a really nice uh, nice few hours together. Um, but yeah, he's 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 um he's funny, Chris. He's more like a, a novelist than a songwriter, and and he sort of carries himself more like a novelist than a musician. You know, he's got he's got a touch of Oscar Wilde about him. I think, you know, in his general vibe. Well, the two of you should get on with him doing a wild and you doing a Byron thing. The two of you ought to really. Yeah, there's an album there. There's a, there's a project there. <laughs> the Wild and Byron project. Two puffs and big shirts. <laughs> yes, no synth. <laughs> a big shirt and a cravat. No um, synth. No synth. No. No, no synth. Just, just a cravat. It's not. Big, it's not. It's not big, the eighties. Who wants shirt. a synth anymore? So. Um, I got very well with him, and that was lovely. And and so anyway, he wanted Frank wanted me to do it again last year, and for whatever reason, I couldn't either because of prior commitments or being overseas or just being bone idle. It was one or one of those three, <laughs> and I didn't do it. And um, then he he started pestering me again this year because he 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 wants he's doing it online this year. He can't do it properly, of course, uh, which is awful. This bloody pandemic just drags on and on doesn't it and you, you, long after we kind of i just thought it would go away a bit you know i didn't imagine it would just keep going and get worse again and but anyway it has and uh, nobody can do anything live um so francis decided to do it via tinternet and um, wanted to know if I'd do something. And, and so I agreed to do it long before I really thought it through. Um, because I haven't really got... I'm not really tooled up here at home for for performing on video. I don't have any decent lights. I can't get much of an atmosphere. Um, it feels a bit weird dressing up at home. So I always look like shit when I'm at home. And anyway, so I did. I did a couple of songs for him, in very bad lighting, looking like shit. Right. Um, the rug sessions. <laughs> the rug session. The rug and dandruff sessions. Yeah, I think <laughs> yeah. we could call them. Um, so they're not glamorous, but they've got a certain something. They've got a certain, you know, not dressed up charm about them. Yeah. Earthiness. Um, honest, honesty is always a good honest, word, isn't honesty. it? <laughs> <laughs> what did you think of my performance? It was very honest. It was honest. Okay. In a cheap sort of way. Yeah, in a, in a uh, couldn't give a damn kind of way. So I was channeling my old, my own inner, um, what's he called? That bloke who looks like a, he rides the railroad for free in America. Uh, it sings me like that. Tom Waits. I was channeling my Tom Waits, I think. But Tom Waits... I was listening to Tom Waits the other day, probably, actually. Probably takes a bit more care over his appearance than I have. <laughs> 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 it's 
Steve Hogarth not as well kept as Tom Waits? <laughs> no, I definitely am not at the moment. <laughs> Well, he's got at least Tom's got all his own teeth. I look dreadful, Jesus! I look like there were women who were, who lived up my street when I was a kid who you know who really let themselves go, and uh, <laughs> had a pong shot for the gin. I've started to look a bit like them. <laughs> I'm saying nothing. I tend to think the more the rougher I get, the more sort of. <laughs> The more female my persona becomes, you know. Right. It, like, right. I just start to look like a wasted woman of a certain age. It's probably right. the hair. It's probably the, the dyed hair and not properly kept. I'm expecting you to pop downstairs and do something with dripping. And the stubble. Um, oh, something with dripping? Yeah. <laughs> or rub a bit in? Is that, is, it's that, a shit. is that Milton Jones joke, isn't there? <laughs> My old grandad once in Murray when he went to the doctor and the doctor said, Why don't you why don't you rub lard all the way down your back? And he said, He went downhill very fast after that. <laughs> oh, do you know what? I'm really pleased with that joke because when somebody was still mentioned on Facebook yesterday, they were trying to explain the unthinkable joke to their husband <laughs> still. And that must be two months ago. So at least the at least the large joke's gonna that, that one's not gonna involve the same amount of <laughs> constant retelling and explanation. My uh, friend um, had a baby, a little girl. She she was when she was born, she was very round and yellow. They called her Melanie. <laughs> oh. Right, I'll shut up. No, no, you, we, we, you, I, don't, I don't even know how we got here. Milton. Chris, Chris, Chris Difford, you, you were oh, channeling yeah. your, in, your inner Tom Waits for these tunes, for, for the Frank, rug sessions. Yeah, for Frank, and, and so I've done my best with them. What and did you do? I did Living in Fear and right. um, Cover My Eyes. And I did Estonia as well, and Estonia was so awful, I didn't think I could give it him. Um, so I've sent him just living in fear and cover my eyes, and if he really leans on me for Estonia, then I don't know. I probably still won't give it him, to be honest. Right. I just wasn't at my shimmering best. Okay. Shimmering best. It's so, right. so Les have Dawson you, have you heard- plays Estonia whilst Tiny Tim sings it. It was a bit like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I thought of you doing a Les Dawson impression. Um, Easily done. <laughs> yeah. So, so, have you heard back from Frank then? As he, as he, as he, as he? No, I sent him the tracks yesterday, and I've had a resounding right. vacuum uh, come right. back. So, whether that's because he hasn't got around to listening to them, or because he has got around to listening to them, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> Answers on a postcard um, <laughs> for that small. for that one because I I I've I've met Frank a couple of times because I helped him out with some in ears when I was at Shaw and uh, he's a, he's an individual. Have you driven with him? Oh no! Oh my God! He drove us. He drove. He drove Lynetta and I down a load of country lanes in, in, in Whitehaven, and it was absolutely terrifying. It was foggy. You couldn't see your hand in front of your face, and he was doing about fifty down a country lane while while we just sat there going, "Well, you know, if anything comes out of this fog, it's all over." That's it's all over. So, um, yeah, yeah. What a character. He's, he's an absolute scream. He's a lovely bloke. 
but mm. uh, I would advise you against being a passenger if he's at the wheel. <laughs> and that's <laughs> that's coming from me. <laughs> so we'll wait to hear back on what happens with Frank. Then. Yeah. Because uh, that might be a thing. And if it's a thing, I guess it'll be a live thing, won't it? We can tell everybody about it. Yeah, you, yeah, we probably can. We can tell everyone about it. I think it's going out next Saturday. I think that's when right. he's sort of having the event. So we could we could let everyone know via right. via a message or or whatever. Because okay. they'll, it they'll if it's next Saturday, they'll be finding out before they've heard this. The purples will know because they'll hear it on Friday. But the the, the rest of the world, it, it will have happened. Did you enjoy it? <laughs> well, um, it was lovely. I was rubbish. Yeah, great. <laughs> 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 of course, we've built all this up, and it might just completely discard your material, and you might never be on it at all. No, no, that would be harsh. I mean, it sounds. Yeah. Good. I sang quite well. I sang well, and you know, I played um, "Living in Fear" all right. You know, well enough to sing on it anyway. And uh, it's got a, it's got a certain. What was it we said? Honesty. Um, it's got a certain honesty. It's got, it is honest. Um, it's a really honest performance. It is. It is. Genuine. You're going to think, well, you know, that's yep. definitely yep. what it is. That hasn't been messed with, has it? Or it, or <laughs> it would be better. <laughs> <laughs> There's not a lot of final cut on that, is there? No. 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 So, so, uh, so oh, okay. That's a good, I, think, I think it's interesting. I did cover my eyes as well, and I started it. I started it an octave down and worked my did way you? up during the song. What, to where it should be? Hmm. Was, is that the equivalent of taking a, a run-up at it? It was a bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah it was It was exactly that. It was, <laughs> I'm not sure I can start this at the pitch that it ends. I'll have right. to just work up to it. I'll work my, work my way up to it. <laughs> yeah, so again, it's, it's a bit like Tom Waits singing Cover My Eyes. There's a thought. <laughs> oh, now, I, now you see, there we have it. There we have it. I, I'd like to hear Tom Waits singing Cover My Eyes. It's not as gravelly as Tom, unfortunately. I mean, he's. I really like Tom Waits. He's great, isn't he? Oh, absolutely fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. I, yeah, uh, incredible. And a good actor as well, actually. I always think of him dancing with Lily Tomlin. Uh, there was a film, I don't watch a lot of films, and I saw something on TV once, and I don't know if it was an outtake that they never actually used in the movie. It might have been a Woody Allen film. But it was him and Lily Tomlin. Um, and and there's this scene of the two of them dancing. And I don't think it's part of the movie. I think it's probably an outtake. And it's just so joyous. Mm. Um, so whenever I think of Tom Waits, I just think of him dancing with Lily Tomlin. I had a moment where some, a friend, had, an old school friend, had posted something on Facebook this week that was equally joyous, but that was because she posted a video of a beaver eating cabbage. A beaver eating cabbage? Yes. Yeah. And this beaver's just having its lunch completely, you know, rest, and it looks a bit like the gopher in Caddyshack. Oh, yeah. Yes. And it's just a joyous moment. A joyous moment of a beaver I'll, I'll, eating a cabbage. I'll, I'll, I'll ping it over to you. That's what the world's become, isn't it? Just millions of people looking at cats sneezing and beavers eating cabbage and people yeah. falling off bikes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you putting your tooth in behind a pop shield. That's, that's, that's what... I have no idea what you're talking about. 
<laughs> anyway, on to festivals. Oh, yeah. On to festivals because we're gonna you're gonna cover. I believe you're gonna talk about two festivals in the diary extract. Oh, really? Um, neither of which I think you actually name. Well, it'll be because well, if I couldn't remember it then, I sure as shit won't be able to remember I'm it. Now. Remember it now. No, I probably couldn't remember it even the day after. Um, <laughs> there was one in in uh, oh, Tallinn. Um, I remember Bonnie Tyler and Bob Geldof were on it because Bonnie Tyler was doing it and I saw Bob Geldof in the basement and there was sort of a nightclub under the hotel and I remember looking across and seeing Geldof in a corner. Um, and that was the first time I'd ever gone to Tallinn. And I don't remember anything about that festival. Um, I remember bits about getting there and I remember walking around Tallinn because I think it was the first time I'd ever been to Tallinn um, and I was expecting it to be, well, I don't know what I was expecting, but it was much more Scandinavian than I thought it would be. Um, now I'm a, a bit less naive and a bit more aware of geography. It, it's sort of unsurprising because it's only across the water from, from Sweden. Um, and I don't think that's a huge stretch of sea, so it's 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 unsurprising that that you know the the culture is very similar. All the girls were blonde and blue eyed, you know. I remember. I suppose the boys were as well, but I wasn't looking at them quite so keenly. Um, but I remember the girls being blonde and blue eyed, and I remember all the uh, architecture being quite gothic, you know, and medieval, and and pretty. Um, and and I was quite I was quite surprised. You know, it was the same thing. But I think I've said it before. When I first went to Poland, when I first went to um, when I first went to Gdansk, um, I was expecting Gdansk to be in black and white because you know that was the the image of it that had been painted on the BBC News, you know, with Lech Wałęsa and the Solidarity Movement and all of that. He was in front of the gates of the shipyard and it all looked really industrial and dour and, and then, you know, I went to Gdansk and it was was like Devon. <laughs> it, was all, it was all green and leafy and lovely. Yeah. Well, bugger me, I thought this would be really horrible. Um, but Tallinn, Tallinn was more like Krakow in a way, you know, um, you could imagine uh, Doctor Frankenstein in an attic, screaming at the, <laughs> screaming at the sky, um, <laughs> live. Um, it had that kind of vibe about it, <laughs> but I don't remember I the could, festival at all. I can I can really tell that you're not on top form and a little bit tired this morning. <laughs> it's really coming across as he. As he screams, live! <laughs> I, at the gave, top of his voice. I gave Alison Moy some change in the airport because she was arriving as we were leaving. I remember that. Um, yeah. And the rest of it, you don't. Yeah, I don't know if she remembered me. She probably remembered my underwear going around on that carousel when I'd met her before. <laughs> <laughs> so, so. Oh, you, you're the one with the exploding suitcase. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes, that's me, Alison. Yeah. That, that was me. Yeah. Here, have some. I money. also do a bit of singing. All <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. Um, 
So, so there was that one. There was another festival a couple of days before, and then I think as we move on through the diary, there'll be another one. So obviously it was a bit of a summer of festivals mm. that, that year. Mm. The first festival I remember you guys doing was the one up in Cumbria. Oh, yes, Cumbria Rocks. Yes. Um, it's funny what you remember from... from the, I mean, it is a long time ago now, but what I end up taking with me from things like that is usually what a dreadful hotel it was. And the fact that we got a, a lousy review for it from uh, a journalist in, I think, was that Kerrang or Classic Rock? But I heard a rumour much later from another journalist that that guy hadn't actually been there, um, but that <laughs> he was... He he was either in 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 the pay of or or had been charmed by one of the other bands, um, or I probably shouldn't name, into basically saying that we weren't very good and they were really good, and that's more or less what the review said. Right, but he might. So, but, you right. know, but but you're too professional to name them, so I'm, everybody else will just have to look at the running order and try and work I, it out I'm, for themselves. I'm too professional to name them, and, and I'm too adult to remember any of the detail. <laughs> Or whether, in fact, we were rubbish as well. You know, we we, we were either great or we weren't. Um, but just because someone says you're not, don't, don't make it so. Right. Especially if they're not That was on the radio, there. wasn't it? Oh, yeah, that's right. The Beeb were up there recording that as well. That's true. That's true. I think we, uh, I think we stooped to the occasion. What's, what's, that, what's that phrase? They set themselves a really low bar, which they managed to get, get under. under. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm, we might have been great. I just can't remember. We were probably awful. I don't know. The, the, I just remember that we all stayed in. They put us up in a pub in, it might have been Whitehaven or somewhere like that, or Cockermouth. Now there's a name for a place um and uh quite a rock and roll sort of name isn't it um and uh we stay i don't know what the name of the town was but we stayed there and and uh they put us in rooms above a pub and they were dreadful um they weren't quite down there with the ridges hotel with the orange <laughs> nylon and the cigarette burns but they were in that kind of area with the the wallpaper peeling off and all of that, and I remember I remember that being rotten, and that's all I really remember about Cumbria Rocks. Sorry, Cumbria, you'd think I'd you think I'd, I'd be a bit more on it, really, bearing in mind that I am Cumbrian. Well, you know, yeah, they, they'll they'll forgive you, or maybe they won't. Yeah, well, they can please themselves. <laughs> so, how many festival-wise? How many how many do you do? Because this is a bit, as I say, it's a bit about the band that I, I take not a lot of notice of. So I mean, on a, a normal year, assuming it's a normal year, how many how many would you do? On a normal year, we might do one, and we might do right. two. We don't we don't do much. We're not exactly a rip roaring, everybody on your feet, clapping your hands kind of band, are we? Um, I think. I see. I didn't want to say it. I, but... th- I think our music suits a theatre. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or a, something with a bit of atmosphere and a good light show is kind of more, you know, what what we're good for. Um, 
or a, or an open air gig that is basically already full of our own fans, who, you yeah. know, who, who have come to see what we do, rather than just come for a kind of toe tapping good time. I think if you come for a toe tapping good time to one of our shows, you're either going to go, you, you know, you still might enjoy it, but you won't be, you won't be tapping your feet that much. You'll be going, oh, oh, hang on a minute. You know, and then it's up to you. You know, if if if, if what you really wanted to do is jump around, but you know, headbang or dance or whatever, you know, then we're we're probably not the thing. Um, so in that sense, we're not a good festival act. We're not. I guess we're a bit, we're a we're a good festival headliner, to be honest. You know, mm-hmm. get get all the toe tapping and the jumping about get that out of the way in the afternoon and then you know when it gets dark <laughs> yeah lots of songs about death and water when, when... <laughs> exactly yes that's when that's what they want leave them wanting more <laughs> death and water <laughs> well and it, it, because it struck me because you mentioned in the diary about a, um, a festival you did in Brian Adams is there. And I guess Brian Adams kind of fits into that perfect festival act, doesn't he? Because he can oh, go yeah. on. He's and absolutely do... brilliant, yeah. Because he know, just thumps his way through a load of mon- yeah. monster hits. And, you know, they're all like three and four chords and they're very yeah. straight ahead and it's guitar rock. And he, I mean, he really, he does it really well. Great singer. Oh, um, he's superb. I, th- I think he's, for that kind of stuff, I think he's one of the best, if not the best. Yeah. Yeah, um, well, Elton John was on that same weekend and I thought I, I enjoyed Brian's set more than I enjoyed Reggie's, if I'm yeah. honest. Um, even though I've got a lot of time and respect for Elton John. But, um, yeah, Brian, Brian's set was was amazing. Uh, but nonetheless, um, I think on that first day we were opening for him. I think we were second mm. on the bill or something. And if he'd have been opening for us, I'd have been in bed asleep during his set. Not because I don't like him, just because that's what I do before I go on stage. But he wasn't, you know, he was at the side of stage watching our, our set. And when we when we finished our set, I think we finished with Neverland or something like that. And he was at the side of the, the stage clapping, you know, clapping and, and gesturing his on back on for encore, you know. Mm. And so that was very cool of him. So you know you remember those things forever, don't you? you? Think, oh, what a what a cool geezer. Yeah, well, and and everybody you speak to about him seems to have nice things to say about him. He does seem to be genuinely that nice guy who knows how to take a photo as well, apparently. Right. Um, but any any other festival highlight? Oh, festivals, festivals, festivals! Oh, we done, we done, we did Cumbria, we've done Cropperty a couple of times. We've never been invited to do Reading or Glastonbury. Um, what have we done abroad? We've done things in France. Have we done anything? We must have. We've done a couple in Holland. Must have done something in Germany. Uh, must have done. Damned if I can remember them. Oh, we did oh. that Rock and Ring, of course. That was yeah. that was actually good. That was good. That Rock and Ring festival that we did with Ryan Adams. Um, and that was actually at that festival. Um, that must have been either the day of the festival or the day before. I think it might have been the day before. I think they flew us in a couple of days early. And I was chatting to Charlene Spiteri, 
from Texas. Texas in the bar. She was very nice. And then um, we had dinner with, um, you know, care of EMI. The EMI people invited us to dinner. And they invited Crowded House to dinner. So we were all sat at a long table with uh, Neil and the boys. And I was up at one end talking to Paul Hester. And that was at Rock and Ring. Um, and I'd played keyboards on a, on an album by a band called Do Re Mi, who were an Australian band um, that did an album. Oh, what was it called? Anyway, never knowingly accurate. I'm sure somebody <laughs> will write back and tell me what that album was called. Harmony, Domestic Harmony, I think it was called. Um and um, the guitar player was a guy and the bass player was a girl and I think they were an item. And the singer um, was a girl and she was quite glamorous and I think she went on to become a sort of star in Australia, star of TV. And um, I got hauled in by Gavin McKillop who was producing it and Gavin used to be the European soundman. So he, he asked me if I'd come and play keyboards. I said, yeah, sure. I went down the townhouse and and met the band and put some keys on there for them. They seemed quite happy with it. And I got on with them all really well, apart from a bass player, this girl called Helen, um, who, who just kind of treated me with sort of disdain and suspicion the whole time we were working together, I thought... Well, well, fair enough, you know, whatever. Well, grandson. Whatever, yeah, yeah, maybe she was sensing the aura. Um, and uh, the album came out and it. Uh, I remember Sting giving it a good review in some magazine or, or, or somebody was talking to Sting, had he heard anything good recently? And he said, yeah, there's this band called Dark Ray Me and they've done this album. And I remember thinking, oh, well, Sting goes right in it, then that's great, they must be really pleased. And time passed. And then I got a phone call and they were coming to London. And they played the Embassy Club in Bond Street and asked asked me if I'd go and play keys with them at the gig. And I said, yeah. And it was a, a record company thing, all their record companies. It was, it was more of a kind of presenting the band to record company folk that, rather than a gig gig. Yeah. They were, they were, they were, it was open to the public, but most of the people were from the music business. They were in there. And we got up and played a few songs. And then the record label were buying drinks afterwards, so we had a couple of drinks in the Embassy Club. And uh, I, I, I thought, well, I better be getting home. So um, I, you know, I uh, got me whatever it was I brought, my Yamaha DX7 into um, into the car and uh, said, well, you know, enjoyed that, you know, all the best with it, cheerio. And and with that, this this Helen came up to me and said, I've always fancied you. And so she was snogging me. And I'm looking over her shoulder at her husband, the guitar player, who was deep in conversation with someone from the record company, thinking, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. So I managed to extricate myself from her <laughs> and go home. Anyway, fast forward in time, we're at Rock Hammering. I'm sitting at a table with a crowded house and I'm, I'm rapping with Paul Hester. And, uh, oh, I, I'm, I might be, she's not likely to hear this, is she? She was called Helen Carter. 
that was a name. And I only can remember a second name because Paul Hester went, Helen Carter, like that, because they go, Carter, the uh, Australians. <laughs> and he went, you know Helen Carter? And I went, yeah, she was the bass player. He's going, that's her, that's the one, that's the one. And so we're up one end of the table, everybody's murmur, 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 and, and me and Paul are now on one end in hysterics. And uh, so I'm telling him this story about undone the keyboards with Doremi and uh, and all of this. And then I say, I'm packing my keyboards away and I say bye-bye and this, she suddenly comes. You know, she'd, she'd, she'd ignored me the whole time we'd worked together, you know, and treated me, if anything, with some, some with disdain and suspicion. And then she, she suddenly come, crosses the room, says she's always fancies me, snogging me, and he went, she did that to me! <laughs> <laughs> and we were both in fits. We were both in fits of laughter down the end of the table. We had a really good. We we had a really good lunch. Um, and uh, and and so I got to know Paul a bit, and he was lovely and a brilliant drummer. And he very very sadly he he then became a something of a TV star in in Australia. He had his own TV show um, called Hesse's Hut or something, where he invited people to his hut to play to play stuff with him, you know, and had various characters, Antipodean stars, um, probably had Midnight Oil and people like that who would, who would play with him. And then, uh, but he was manic depressive, Paul, and I only ever saw him on, on the upswing, you know, he was always in amazing form whenever I ran, in, ran into him. But apparently he did have a downside, and he was quite—you know—he did—he did have periods of depression, and he took his own life. He hung mm. himself in a park in Sydney, and I was absolutely gutted because he was so lovely, and I wish I'd had a chance to, well, you know, just wish I'd had a chance to stop him mm. for a kickoff. But you know, all the side of the world and all of that. Mm. I think it was hard for Crowded House because they became famous on completely the opposite side of the planet from where they were from. Yeah. And so they had to tour Europe and, and the UK a lot because they were doing really well here. But that was, and they were so far from home and I think it was so toxic to their family life. Uh, and, you know, and I think they, they probably went through a few marriages between them. Um. Again, you know, as I've said before, back in those days, there was no FaceTime, there was no internet. There yeah. was just the 45-second phone call for 75 quid from the hotel. You know, the hurried, how are you, I'm all right, I'll call you next week, okay, fine. Boop, click, mm -hmm. 75 quid. Um, so it, it, was, it, was, it was really hard, it must have been murder for them. And I think that's why, in the end, Paul left. He said, I can't do this anymore. And he he, um, he quit Crowded House. And I think it was only that. It wasn't the music um, because he was absolutely perfect for that band. He was su mm. such a great drummer, such a musical, you know, the right drummer for the song kind of drummer yeah. rather than, hey, watch me play. Yeah. He was brilliant, but it, really, really good feel. He did exactly what the song required. You know, lovely. Mm. Well, we'll leave it there because we're going to touch on that in the diary. Mm. Um, and it's, uh, I was going to ask you it after, but it, it's worked its way into conversation, so we'll leave that and probably do a slightly 
shorter I, wrap up after but apart the from that i can't remember festivals apart from oh, well, do, do you know what the kind of festival i thought i was being really clever with that but it's 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 kind of not really it's not really hit our normal height so yeah, we'll just move on the, we'll th- just move the on. thing i tell you what the thing about festivals is that you never have time for a you usually don't have time for a sound check or you don't have time for much of a sound check you have a choice you either get there at seven in the morning and the sound check before anybody's out of bed or up or anywhere near the festival site, which we sometimes have done, um, or you just go on without one and the crew put your monitors together and everything during the during the first couple of songs, and that's hellish. Mm. So most artists don't really look forward to festivals because they're so out of control and they're so out of their comfort zone. Um during you know you're halfway through your your show usually before you've got a sound you can work with and before you really settle down you know so festivals are a double-edged sword i mean they're useful because you can turn on some new fans if you're any good um but they aren't always a pleasure to do you know because you you haven't you haven't got any control and with that beautiful intro, let's have a diary section that includes two festivals. <laughs> Damned if I can remember them, darling. <laughs> I, put, I put festival into Google this morning and it brings up it brings up the, the ice cream. Do you remember festival lollies that were like they were like feasts before feasts existed? <laughs> no. You don't oh, now right, you've okay. got me. <laughs> Mint festivals and chocolate festivals. Mint festivals. Good yeah. God. No. no. No, I don't remember them. Q yeah. avalanche of uh, of of purples filling up timelines with yeah. festival ice cream. Uh, and thanks in advance, everybody. Right, go on, we'll do the diary section then, which includes these two festival dates. And, okay. Uh, and, and we'll regroup at the other end. Yes, then let's. Monday, 20th of April, Mexico City, Houston, home. Got up and went down to breakfast at nine o'clock. I'd arranged to meet up to have breakfast together with Bill, Andrew, the band and Lana Topham from EMI's video department, PMI. Lana is also Storm Thorgerson's occasional assistant, Bill Wyman's occasional assistant and has done a lot of work on and off for Pink Floyd over the years. She's producing this video and has been terrific throughout. Anyway, no one turned up, so I breakfasted alone. Bumped into Bill later, looking dreadful in the lobby. He'd been out to a few clubs last night with Andrew. We can all relate. And Yvonne from EMI, who was to accompany us to the airport. Packed, checked out and boarded the minibus. Met at the airport by Francisco, who always seems to appear grinning away, and who gives us an easy passage through the airport. I suspect he and EMI have an arrangement. I believe he's the airport manager, so that's quite handy. Had more breakfast in the restaurant with the band and Yvonne. Waved bye-bye and boarded the plane to Houston. Snoozed on the flight. Arriving at Houston set me wondering how and where Sandy Stewart was. At exactly the same moment I looked down at a book Mark was reading and saw her name in print on the page. Mighty spooky. 
Sandy used to contribute occasionally to the songwriting of Fleetwood Mac and Stevie Nicks. I was put together with her at one point to write some songs, but never really got it together. We, along with her guitarist, David Johnson, became mates for a time during the How We Live days. She rented a house in Hampstead to which she gave me the keys so I could go and make music there when she was away in America. She and David made an album under the name Blue Yonder, which I sang BVs on. It was produced by John Brand, who produced tracks on This Is The Sea for The Water Boys. Sandy and David were from Houston. Mark was reading Mick Fleetwood's autobiography. Bought T-shirts in Houston Airport for Fee and Nile, and drank a pina colada before getting the flight to London. Didn't sleep, but the eight hours passed quite quickly. Spent most of the time writing this diary. Tuesday, 21st of April, home. Arrived at Gatwick to be met by a cab driver who couldn't find his car. I was bursting to get home and had to contain my temper. Got home around 11.15. Fifi was thrilled to see me. Diz is very tanned from her time in South Africa and looks prettier than ever. Niall is completely changed and is smiley and as heavy as a sandbag. Friday, 1st of May. Englefield Green, Surrey, Charlton, Northamptonshire. Moved house from 54 Middle Hill, Englefield Green to Brisbane House, Main Street, Charlton, near Banbury. The tree opposite Brisbane House was in full bloom and its blossoms made the air heady with perfume. Tuesday, 16th of June, sometime later, Charlton. The carpet fitters cometh, up at eight, and started removing doors. Friday, 3rd of July. Spoilt to death. Don't know why I've written that. Car was arranged for 9.30 to take me to Heathrow Terminal 3. Arrived to encounter Paul Lewis back tour managing, generally dazzling about the place and looking after everything, wearing a shirt which defied description. Can't remember much about the flight apart from bumping into Claire Kenny, one of my bass from the past people. She'd played bass with How We Live and, more famously, 80s all-girl dub band Amazulu. She was currently playing bass for Shakespeare's sister, going to the same place as us. Eventually arrived at a hotel in a town in Denmark. Couldn't be more specific. To be met by a gaggle of blondies from Sweden. It was Helen, Ulrika and Anna, the au pair girls from Stanbridge Farm. We'd spent months at Stanbridge writing holidays in Eden. They'd driven over to see us. How very sweet. It's not what you think. Chit-chatted with them for a bit and caught up on one another's lives, then went to my room to lie about being bored and snoozing until around 8.30, when we departed for the festival site. Joe Cocker was already on stage, being Joe Cocker, elbows glued to his sides, hands flailing around. I watched him for a while from the side of stage, then beetled off for a couple of interviews before showtime. We weren't on stage until 11.30, but the evening was warm and pleasant, so enjoyed just sitting around, talking and trying not to get drunk. When showtime finally arrived, things got a bit weird monitor-wise, 
I had no vocal in the wedges for most of Splintering Heart, and being back on a big stage felt odd. It took a while to settle. The process was helped somewhat by the onset of darkness and the front section of the audience who were obviously our people. Record company girl Suzanne watched from the side of stage and when I walked off during the instrumental section of this town she took me by the arm to tell me how much she was enjoying the show. It was a brave and sensitive gesture and helped me lift myself for the second half of the set which went very well. Afterwards, I showered up and chatted with the boys and Anne Lawler, John Arneson's long-standing, long-suffering management assistant, our Miss Moneypenny. The stage manager came back to congratulate Privet, saying it was the best sound out front that he'd heard at a festival. I was pleased especially for Privet, who deserves the recognition. I was hoping to hang around and party, but we were all bundled back onto a bus to take us the half-hour drive to the hotel in the middle of nothing special. Thankfully, the bar was still open despite the late hour. I later lost my room key under a tree opposite the hotel while talking to the crew, who were up it. Fortunately, it was still there the following morning, as I discovered when the hotel tried to charge me 30 quid for the loss of the antique key fob. Friday... 10th of July. Woke at first light, 5.15, just before the alarm clock went off. By six, I was up and ready. For once, I'd packed the night before. I made some fresh coffee and walked up the street with it to enjoy the village and the dawn morning air. Ifty, my driver, arrived on time, so I wandered back and loaded hand baggage into the cab. Chatted for most of the long journey to Stansted and arrived at 7.30. I was early. We all were. So we had breakfast while Paul Lewis checked us in. The 9.25 flight was finally called at 9.30, so we boarded the little train to the terminal and then took the bus across the tarmac to the Air Estonia charter flight. It was a Tupolev something or other plane. Stood on the tarmac for ages talking to the stewardesses successfully persuading them to give me coffee it's only for the crew they said anyway the coffee came out of a tin that looked like it was dug up after the war sat with alan parker who had bought me a t-shirt from paul hester of crowded house thanks paul the delay was it turned out due to our equipment being too big to fit in the hold it took an hour to remove wheels from the flight case and load bits of backline into the rear of the passenger area. Two of the chaps at the front were asked to sit at the rear just for takeoff, and I could have sworn that the pilot almost had second thoughts halfway down the runway, as our speed seemed to level out for a little while. Anyway, we took off, and I'm here to tell you the tale, aren't I? It was probably my most nervous takeoff ever, to be honest. Arrived at the terminal in Tallinn to be accosted by Russian TV, who asked, What was it like to play in Moscow? I don't know. I've never been. Tallinn reminded me at first of Gdansk, greener than I was expecting, and the people more colourful too. We were taken to the hotel and given lunch, which consisted of weird soup, followed by pork chop. I enjoyed both. The weather was fine, so I went out for a quick walk up to the old town with Pete T and Leah, our Estonian babysitter. Sat in the old town square 
which could be best described as medieval Scandinavian stroke Bavarian, and drank a quick beer before we had to depart for the festival site. A sort of Bavarianish brass band played in the sunshine. At the festival site, there wasn't much to do. We'd missed Bonnie Tyler, who'd left early to get to Zurich. I went for a walk and made my way, unnoticed and unhindered, to the sea, five minutes away. They've made such a mess of the Baltic along here. It smelled of raw sewage, which for the most part, along with heavy industrial pollutants, is what the Baltic Sea has become. Back to the backstage area for an interview with Super Channel, and the long await to stage time. In the end, I wasn't really sure about the show. I couldn't settle, and I was never sure whether I was overdoing it or not. The audience response seemed good, but ever since I saw Brian Adams at Nürburgring, I'm waiting for that kind of audience energy level. Nice chap, Brian Adams. He stood at the side of the stage after our set at Rockham Ring, clapping and gesturing for us to get back up for an encore. I think I've always expected too much of myself and everyone else. I climbed the scaffolding at the side of stage during the encore and couldn't find anything to hold on to, so I spent two verses and two choruses clinging to stretched material, stretched by my fingers around a scaffold pole. It was the closest I've yet come to the short way down. After the show, we went back to the hotel where I showered up and went downstairs to a nightclub in the basement. Saw Bob Geldof sitting in the shadows looking preoccupied. Club was boring, so at around 4am and already daylight, I went for a walk and made my way up to the old town. The place was deserted, so I was undisturbed and free to take in what seemed like a cross between old Stockholm, old Zurich and medieval England. Nothing apart from the road signs suggested Russia to me. There was no point in going to bed. We had to leave at 530 so when I bumped into Alan Parker, Lights, and Tony Layton, Drum Tech, wandering the streets at 5am, I was relieved and glad of the company. Checked out, and at the airport I bumped into Alison Moyer, who was on her way to Tallinn. I gave her the remainder of my Estonian money. Took the plane home, snoozing most of the way. Priv actually slept through the landing, unclipped and spread-eagled across a row of seats. Took the cab home via Tilbury. He got lost and went up the M11. And we're back <sighs> with that with that little diary section um, <laughs> that was well. Actually, it was a bit weird, really, because it was it was it covered about three months. Because it covers you getting back from the US. Right. And then there seems to be, a, there's a gap when you move house. Yeah, I pr- uh, probably didn't write anything, the general chaos of getting organised, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, the carpet fit is coming. <laughs> which is a sing. which is the, I think it's the, your greatest diary entry. The, <laughs> the carpet fit is cometh or something. I think it's just an absolute genius. I'm going to have to go back and check. The, cart- the carpet fit is cometh. Up at eight and started removing doors. That was it. Yeah, the, yeah. 
how the hell did that make it in the diary? <laughs> that's I think that's one of your greatest diary <laughs> entries. Um, and then and then on to and then on to festivals. So um, you know, so it was clearly the only thing that punctuated that summer, other than you moving in and also actually detailing for people your previous addresses. <laughs> well, that was funny as well. Here's where I was. And here's yeah. where I was. Yeah. This is where I this is where I moved to. But um, yes, so. So I can't. I'm not going to ask you about uh, Paul Hester because we've done that. Um, so I'm going to ask you one question and one question only because it just made me smile. Um, how do you lose a hotel room key on an antique key fob? I was up a tree. I was either up a tree. I was definitely. I think I was just lying down, uh, sloshed in a park, um, and the crew. No, the crew were up the tree. That's right. I think Alan Parker. And maybe, I mean, some of our crew were up a tree. I remember, I remember them being up a tree, and me lying on the grass watching them up the tree at about five in the morning, the middle of the night, because um, it was Denmark, wasn't it? It was, it was, it was Scandinavia, so it probably hadn't. It probably only got dark for half an hour, and it was summer, um, and uh, it was post gig, so it, a lot of drink will have been imbibed at that point. And it was a great. I remember that room key. It was a great big brass brass one, and we were told on a big, big one of those big sort of uh, silken rope ropey fobs with a tassel on the end. And we were told when we checked in, don't lose these keys. They're very expensive. You'll be charged thirty five pounds if you if you lose the key. And thirty-five quid was quite a lot of money back then. It was a lot. It was, it was like being charged seventy quid now, really. Um, anyway, sure enough, I lost mine. Um, but I think someone found it in the park in in the in the park opposite, and I managed to get it back for a check town, get me money back. So that was fantastic. <laughs> I'm used to you losing your phone, and I'm used to you losing your passport. First time we've had antique room key lost. Yes. Oh, yes. Yes, but with, with 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 far less damaging consequences than when I lost the one in Canada and had the crowd at the bottom of my bed. Yeah, which you apparently... Know, that was a brass I, one as well. Well, I thought we'd told that story. I thought we'd done that story Have on the podcast. Have we not told that story? And I don't think we've actually done that story oh, on the podcast. Lord. So we'll we'll have to slate that one for a future date. Um, that was an evening. That yeah, might have we, been the single weirdest thing that ever happened to me in my in my rich and weird life. That that takes some topping. Well, in which case, then, we could make Chapter 28 the single weirdest thing that's ever happened <laughs> to you and and do that in Chapter 28. Um, mm. Because that in of itself, that's an achievement, to find the single weirdest thing that's happened in your life. Yeah, it's definitely the one I, that comes first to mind. There might be something that's up there with it if, if I really... If I live with it for a week, I'll probably come back and go, no, well, it was the second weirdest. Well, well, here's a challenge for you then. Chapter 28 has now become the the top 10 of weird things that have all, or even top five weird things that have happened in that your happened life. happened in my life. Oh. So, so <laughs> we'll go for five. Not Ten sure I'm be go, pushing it. Not sure I'm go public on all of them. <laughs> well, I'll have a go. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the top five podcast-friendly weirdest things that have ever happened in my life. Right, okay. That's, that's going to be 28. Oh, man. Uh, we'll, we'll do that for 28. Um, the other thing, 
Um, a thank you to the people who've left reviews because we've had a few people already start to leave reviews on our little after our little plea um, or request for reviews last week. We've had a few people leave reviews. Ah, uh, thank you, thank you. For so that. thank you for thank you for for doing that. Yes. Right, we need to wrap up because you've got you've Spread got you've got important people to speak to, haven't you? I've got the Associated Press phoning up because. Um, I phoned you and yours on Radio Four last week. You did. I, I was, heard it. I was driving into. I was driving into the studio, and somebody was on. A girl called Emma, who manages the Christians, was on, and and talking about the dilemma they'd found themselves in because they were they'd released a thirtieth anniversary album this year, and we're going to do a thirtieth anniversary tour, and it's all blown out, and mm. it's really it's really knocked them all sideways. You know, you've got Richie Sunak there saying, oh, well, you know, I would advise any, any musicians out there, you know, to retrain if or any or anyone, you know, anyone who can no longer work should retrain. And, and he probably means well, but, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a slap in the face and, and it says an awful lot about how little people in Westminster understand the arts in this country uh or if you say the arts to them they just think of the of the english national opera because that's the only place they've ever bloody been um and they think of rock and roll as not the arts i think and rock and roll just has has a sort of low life reputation in their minds uh, despite the fact that it makes eight billion pounds a year which is a lot of money um, you know, and he's up there with 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 some of the ser- the, the so called serious manufacturing industries. Um, so it's kind of weird that 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 it's gone so unsupported. Um, and I just wanted to make that point. So I thought I'll get on the phone. So I got on the phone and had a word. You know. And they put me straight through. Um, apparently, the guy, one of the guys on the switchboard, was a big fan, <laughs> so, he stuck, <laughs> so he stuck me straight through. And a woman who was actually, you know, running this show, was was very complimentary as well. Oh, a proper rock and roll star on on the phone now, and all that. So, um, so I said what I felt and trotted out a few figures. I managed to get these figures out of Lucy between them telling me that they were going to put me on air and getting on air. Like, Jesus Christ, I better get some figures. Um, so she managed to crowbar the figures in into the couple of minutes before I went on air and I sounded reasonably intelligent, which which is remarkable in itself. Because the, the regular podcast listeners will know that that's not the case. <laughs> well... We we take we take a run up at the podcast, don't we? We we take twenty minutes to get. Yes, thaw me out. Yeah. Plus, to be fair, your figures for the radio interview were accurate, and that's also one of our little. Yes, no, never challenges. normally accurate. Yeah. Never, never knowingly or normally accurate. So, so, uh, so the press would like to talk to you more about that. Then I take it. There's yeah, off the back of that, the Associated Press got in touch, and, and you know, and they want they want a statement out of me, um, and they want that statement very soon. <laughs> so yeah. I, I better go so that yeah, I, can, I, I can I can you know do a bit of prepping and sound intelligent again. Well, good luck. Yeah, I know. 
Red Bull. It's the only answer. Yeah, get some tequila down here. Yeah. What can po- actually fest a mint festival lolly that that'd sort you out.
Thanks for listening to the Corona Diaries. It featured Steve Hogarth with the insights and me, Ant Short, with the questions. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider subscribing and maybe leaving a review as this will help others find it. You could even share with other like-minded souls, should the mood take you. This has been an A Short Stories production. <laughs>